What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, hammering it home. This spring, there's a lot of awesome stuff coming up. Headed into the summer as well. Last chance broadhead shoot with West Coast Archery. May 15th through the 17th. And also coming up June 13th in Reno is the Dead Eye Golf Tournament. For more information and more details, check them both out on Instagram. I'm sure you'll have no problem finding their accounts. Also get ready, Yeti Total Archery Challenge. It's going to be a blast. Hope to see everyone there. Thanks. It's so weird using different recording equipment than what I'm used to. You got the cords all right? Yeah. All right. Let me. Around the guacamole and the <laughs> chips. <laughs> it's good guacamole. The essential stuff. So what did you say? You smoked the salt for the yeah. guacamole? Yeah. You, you uh, Basically like you cold smoke um, like cheese. Uh-huh. Yeah. You take uh, rock salt and then uh, you basically cold smoke it for like three or four hours and then it, I've gotten those little jars there and you can just let it sit out and jar out and then it's it's got a uh, like a smoked salt flavor it's that's crazy good. yeah it's good stuff I mean it totally made a difference in the guacamole you can take uh take that other jar if you want one that left one I've got a couple of them if you want to take one it's super good dude yeah good I, I probably will take you up on that I'm a salt guy. Yeah, like, salt's important. My cholesterol's terrible because I think I love salt so much. But, uh, um, yeah, I have to, like, put salt on everything. That's fucking, that's just crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah, so we were talking about archery pig hunting. Yeah. And how much that can help a new archerer. Yeah. Who might be trying to learn, you know, the next step or, or how to get in on it. Or a, just bought a bow. Yeah. And is like, you know, I don't know. So, yeah, so, like, talking about archery hunting, like, I hang out at the archery shop down here, Central Coast, quite a bit. Okay. Nobody Central Coast there. Archery? Yeah. What's the town they're in? San Luis Obispo. Okay. Yeah. So, Joel and Scott Wilson. Joel's great, man. Yeah. Joel's involved with Canna yeah. Outdoors ben and Potter. Hunt 41. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah, dude. Joel's super, super yeah, nice Con when Outdoors, I met Ben Potter, yeah. They're, Kana, that's right. Yeah. I always call it Canna. Yeah. I, Canna, Kana. I, I'm not sure, actually, how it's pronounced, but. Yeah, they're based out of San Luis Obispo, yeah. and um, a lot of times I get people that are like, you know, hey, I'm not sure I want to hunt, but I want a bow hunt. I want to shoot a bow like I see it, so I'll take them down there and get them sized, and they'll shoot a bow, and they're like instantly hooked. So then they start shooting, and they love it. You know, maybe they're traditional people or longbows, and they shoot that, um, and then they like get this thing. They're like, hey, man, I kind of see like you hunt. Like I'm kind of interested in that. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go. Like, yeah. let's like, you know, they think it's like, it's this easy, right? Like you just go and you just kill By stuff this all easy, the time. You mean, you know, like <laughs> killing monster bucks, monster elk, lions. I think it's like, uh, yeah. Actually killing a, killing a Jacob's ram. And where'd you kill that at? That was in Argentina. In Argentina? Yeah. That's so insane. Yeah. Man. That's like a biblical. And that red stag next to it on the wall, that was Argentina stag. Uh-huh. So. But yeah, so I like, I, I'll take them and, and it's like, you know, and, and they're like instantly hooked and, and, and some of these people are so intrigued by 
just the animals and getting close. Mm-hmm. But what I love about taking people pig hunting is with a bow is um, because pigs typically don't have the, the, the best, you know, sight. Their sense of smell is, is excellent, but they can't see very well. And they're so low to the ground that especially this time of year when the grass starts growing, I mean, you can get, you know, within feet of them and yeah. uh, just makes it fun. Really you know? helps with stalking skills. I mean, I go out on the weekends if I don't have a hunter or anything, and I just go and see how close I can get. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just fun to be close to an animal like that. Yeah. You know, even if you don't even pull the bull back. So, yeah, it's it's fun. I've, I've lived here for almost 17 years now and uh, just really gotten kind of a passion to, to pig hunt. And I tell people in Texas about it, they're like, man, we go out and shoot them with spotlights. And I'm like... <laughs> can't do that here but um i feel like our level of pig hunting is so much different than their level of pig hunting it is it's uh it's totally different you know um because there i mean they're a pest they root underneath fences you know they cause crop damage to the Mm -hmm. corn i mean they're just tearing stuff up here they do that but i mean they live in the oaks they live in places where they'll eat acorns and they're really not you know doing a lot of damage but you get them in barley, and they will wreck they the will, field. They will hammer barley. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and you were talking like the pigs around here; they'll they'll grow forty pounds real quick. As soon they as the can. Barley comes so, up. Um, you know, some of the pigs here. I mean, what I've seen. I mean, we watch them. If you know, you see a belted boar or a spotted calico bow, you know, boar, you'll watch them, and you hell, you'll see them put on, you know, easily, you know, twenty to thirty pounds, you know, in a couple months just by eating barley. And this time of year, they're they're eating they're eating pretty good yeah. so but yeah it's not it's not uncommon for them to put on a half pound a day mm-hmm. some a pound a day and that's so crazy to start yeah and then of course you'll see the offspring so you'll see the piglets get dropped and then you'll see them grow and they always usually come out spotted in calico and then they either go you know red or they go black they stay black or you know it's kind of cool i just saw my first solid red pig it was like red golden yeah it's the first time I've ever seen one, just the other day. Yeah. Big, like 180-pound There's pig. a lot of different... Colored pig. Colored pigs here. Yeah. Um, I've seen white ones. I've seen white ones with black eyes. I love the black belted ones that are full black with, like, a big white belt around yeah. them. Um, of course, the red ones are always cool. Um, yeah, the calico spotted ones are cool. I mean, there's just a lot of different complexions of pigs here. But, yeah, it's super fun, man. I mean... The other benefit is you can hunt them year round. Mm-hmm. So, you know when it's when it's downtime, baby. <laughs> when it's downtime and and uh, or hell, you're out you're out chasing blacktails mm-hmm. and you run into a group of pigs. I mean, it's game on. You know, right. as long as you got a tag in your pocket. So, so if you were out blacktail hunting and you saw a good pig, would you take that pig or would you keep blacktail hunting? I would take the pig. You'd take the pig every day. Yeah. Funny story. This year we were we were actually on a decent buck and. Uh, I wouldn't say on, and we had spotted this decent buck. And uh, so we were sitting on this ridge, and me and my buddy are sitting there, and we looked to the left, and we see, like, this, just, like, the side of this mountain moving. And it looked like cattle. I mean, as big as this these pigs were. So we whip over, and we're like, that's not, those aren't cows. I mean, because we were, we were on public land anyway. But, and it was just a huge group of pigs. So we jumped in my truck and just hauled, like, a mile. It was probably, like, almost three-quarters to a mile hauled down this road and stopped and uh we split up i got up on top of this ridge he sat right down where the truck was and these pigs just started filtering to us and uh there's a there's a there's a there's a side to this story when i'm done but so anyway um 
my buddy's got pigs coming to him. I got pigs folding over the top to me, and I was waiting, and I'm thinking there's got to be a good boar in here. So these pigs come up. They win me. They run off the bottom and go to my buddy. So I'm getting ready to walk down to see him, and I hear, you know, the I hear the grass moving, so I stop. And I literally look, and I see this, this freaking boar coming up. I mean, his mouth was wide open because he'd run up this ridge. He had probably two to three-inch cutters on the no bottom. Way. I mean, big pig. So I knock an arrow quick, and he walked right out into the road and just stuffed him. I mean, he was square on, and I buried that arrow right in his his chest. chest. Ran off, gone, broke the arrow off. I mean, I spent – when he went into the poison oak was about as far as I would go. Are you allergic to poison oak? I'm not allergic to it, but I just – I don't want to – I'm terribly allergic to poison oak. I don't want to put myself in that position. (laughs) To maybe find out it changed. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) the the funny moral of the story is I get back to to my buddy, and I'm like, did you get a chance? He goes, yeah, I had a shot at like 70. I didn't take it. And I said, you know what? We totally just gave up that buck we were on to go hunt pigs. Like literally, we – had this buck probably within half a mile. We were watching him feeding first at right at first light, and we literally dumped him to go chase these pigs. So, really? Yeah, it's I don't know. It's fun. Yeah. And the thing with pigs is, is you know they're in that time of year in July. I mean, it's an early morning, late evening deal with them, right? Because they're bedding up. And this time of year, I mean, they're out. They're All out. day. We just saw them today. I mean, we, I think we saw like ten off the road. Yeah, that's not uncommon for them to be out at noon, one o'clock. Yeah milling around rooting around so that's what's fun about hunting them this time of year is you don't have to be out there at first light i mean to kill a big boar that's when you're going to see a big boar but um you're going to see pigs all day long this yeah. time of year so and the weather's nice to be out this time of year so right it's a good time to to do that so yeah it's fun so you're talking about going to an archery pro shop i yeah. live in petaluma i go to west coast archery okay awesome shop what do you like for you? What is the value you get out of going to a pro shop? Yeah, so I think for me, like I like to tune my bow. I like to tweak with my bow, mm-hmm. right? I like to put a rest on, change a rest out, put a do different you do everything size yourself? in. So I, I I do tuning and fine stuff, but like when I get my bow, I take it down to Central Coast yeah. and. Joel and I Here, will spend the whole morning, and we'll just we'll, we like we like do a lot of it together. Like we'll mm-hmm. set my second third axis on my site, we'll tune my rest. Like we'll we'll do everything together. Yeah, and then we literally we'll spend like a half a day just getting my bow set up and tuned right, and then from there it's like just micro adjust yeah. if I ever need Fine to do tuning. anything. Fine tuning. Well, but. that's like one of the biggest benefits I've found working with Hans and getting a lot of that one on one time and kind of learning and understanding what's actually going on instead of buying some jackass bow off a of craigslist or going to a big box store yeah where the person who's teaching you maybe doesn't really know much about archery or they're not a hunter yeah or, you know what i mean so i always really like to point that out yeah because the importance and there's pro shops in all the different areas all over california you know so i mean I, of course i go to west coast so that's in my area you know, Sonoma County, Northern, you know, Northern Bay area, but it's so important for people to know that they can go find a pro shop instead of going to, you know, a Bass Pro or a Cabela's or out of the box. Like you said, I, I think for me, like with these stores, it's, it's a locally owned store. Mm -hmm. It's a small business. Um, I've been, I've been going to these guys when they were in the back of a farm supply store in Royal Grandy. I mean, <laughs> How I've known cool. them for a long time. Yeah. So, Well, you build um, that relationship too. Absolutely. And when you build relationships like that, you want to support local business, small local businesses. And they're, Joel and Scott, I mean, it, 
you you know Joel a little bit, but they're just salt of the earth people. I mean, great great yeah. people. Um, like I say, and they're they're you know they they have all the Matthews. I mean, they have Hoyt. They have I mean they have all the pro shop you know type of type of companies. But the other thing is is I think that's important is is that you can go into your point. Um, I'm not an expert in archery hunting or bow hunting. Yeah. I love to do it. It's a passion of mine. But those guys live and diet every day. They set up multiple bows a day. And they know so what they're I doing. go, I go there just to learn, you know, right. Hey, there's this new, this, or there's, we've, Eason's got these new arrows. You want to check them out? Like, cause I'm not in the business all the time doing that. They are. That's why I like to go there. Cause I learn a lot every time I go in there, you yeah. know, like paper tuning. People didn't even know what that was years ago. And it's like, I would never not paper tune. Like it's like non-negotiable. Well, and that's how important it is, especially like with modern bows and how fast these arrows are going, you know what I mean? And, and all that and how we're reaching out a little bit further where maybe we used to stop at 40 or maybe 50 was our max. That was a long shot. Those are really, really long shot, you know, and now an 80 yard shot is a really, really long shot. Absolutely. You know, and, and, like for me, my sweet spot with a bow, I feel is like 60, 65. Yeah. You know, that's like my, that's my honey hole. I feel really, really, really comfortable and confident right there. Um, and I always try to get closer if I can, but I'm not afraid to, to take that shot, but it's only because the equipment this day, you know, today is allowing us to be oh, able yeah. to shoot that I much mean, further. There's no question. And one thing I've found is I've, I've shot a lot of bows over the years and like, you know, it was like 40 was like the window and then it went out to 60 and like Matthews for me, like that Valley is 60. Uh-huh. Like I've always seen significant drop past 60 with most of my bows and, and I shoot an option sight. So I've got the mover pin, but what I found in the last couple of renditions of Matthews is I've not lost that Valley over 60 yards yeah. where when I tweak my sight to 85, it's flat shooting at 85, yeah. especially with the verdicts. Yeah. Um, the verdicts is such a great bow, man. I mean, I've gone in the last three years, the verdicts, triax and, or the triax verdicts and VXR now, VXR now, which is yeah. what I'm switching over to for this next season. Yep. And it's all of them are just like performance. And when they released the vert they're the try, no, the verdicts last year, it's all the names. Yeah. Or so. Yep. Last year was the verdicts. When I shot that bow, there's no way that I thought that they could make a bow that was going to be better than how the Triax was shooting. And I shot it and I was like, literally, yeah. I think they claimed like 20% better or something like that. And well, like quieter, I mean, everything, everything across the board. Them. Yeah. And you could hear it. I mean, like everything was completely, I don't know. When I released that arrow, it's just like that's that actually. It's like Nirvana, right? They they nailed it. They yeah. said that it was better, and it actually is better. And I didn't think that they could produce it, and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So I didn't have a triax. I I I I kind of went the. I started with a Q2, and like 25 years ago, I, mm-hmm. I started with a Q2, and then I bought a, a Matthews Outback, and that was their first solo cambo that they came out with. I think the switchback, and then the Outback, but I had the Outback. Uh-huh. And I hunted with the Outback for probably 10 years. And then I realized, you know, I mean, <laughs> in 10 years, well, you see what happens in technology in a year. So think about 10 years, how, how much time lapse had gone by. So then I stepped up to a no cam and that's when I just started to get, I mean, I bought the, I got the 32, Halon 32, probably one of the smoothest shooting bows I've ever had. Yeah. Um, didn't, I mean, it, it was heavy. It was, you know, 32 inches axle to axle, but, um, but, but at I, the time it wasn't that heavy. 
not at all. I mean, you compared. Know, but yeah. what I noticed is, is the big, the big shift that I've seen noticeably is has been um, how quiet these bows are. And I shoot a heavy arrow. I shoot like a 480 setup. It's aluminum mm -hmm. FMJ, so that's going to absorb, you know, a lot of that. But um, but then when I stepped up to the verdicts last year, I was just blown away. And everyone even says it when I'm shooting with them. They're like, God, that thing's quiet. You know, it's like, I mean, I'm not sure that I don't hear it because you're the one, you know, releasing the bow or releasing yeah. the trigger. But in the zone. You're in the zone. But they are, and now with the VXR, that's just a totally different level. What kind know? of release do you prefer? Um, so, you know, I've, I've always shot like a, a finger, finger release. I've never shot like a, like a thumb release or a back tension release. Yeah. I can't um, get into that stuff. I just, I've, I've shot them before. Um, I've just, for whatever reason, I, I just prefer to have, you know, the wrist, you know, style, you know, finger basically release trigger style release. Um, and I don't know. It's just a preference. My, yeah. my good buddy went, he, he transitioned over to a, um, a back tension and then a thumb release and he swears by it. And it's kind of one of those things he says, you know, if you, if you do that, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, in at that point, I just, I haven't made that, that transition right. yet, but my uh, first release that I, when I had gone from shooting three fingers to a release was a thumb release. And my first fork that I shot at, I missed at like 20 yards. And, uh, the web of my thumb had engaged the release. So I was half drawn and sent that arrow right over its back. And it was like the most devastating thing in my life. Oh, I, I threw bet. it away and would never use it again. Yeah. I didn't throw it away. I still have it, but I'll still never use it again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so much out there now that, um, you know, I mean, you, you go to, you go to the trade shows, you know, you go to ATA, you go to the NABA show, or you, of course you go to any of the, uh, you know, the, cheap show or any of those other ones and you get all these companies and all this technology and and some of it is is i mean it, it it's it's overwhelming when yeah. you go to some of these shows and uh but everyone's and what i like about that though is everyone's pushing each other and uh you know there's there's not one company that just settles for you know for basically being status quo they all push each other um, this rest is great, but this one's better and this is why. And then that company next year is going to make a better rest than them because of what they, you know, so yeah. it's just Innovation, like, dude. it's just like camel companies or anything. They're Constant. all pushing each other. And, and I think it's, I think it's great for the, you know, the industry it's healthy for the industry and, and it, and it, you know, requires them to think outside the box and you say to be innovative because there's always someone that's wanting that next, you know, best thing, you know? <laughs> For it's like sure. down to Central Coast, they're pushing these Garmin Zero sites, you uh -huh. know, with the, with the, you know, the, basically the, I don't know, it's like a, I think you like hit a button and it like automatically like sets the pin for yeah, you based on the, like years. a range finder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just, I can't get into that. Like I, there's something about it. I don't know. I just, yeah. I shot one and I just, we were out at the 3D range um, out in Sportsman's and I just, I couldn't bring myself to. It just doesn't feel like right, you right. know, like it's gotten to that level though in some places where oh, yeah. hell you hit a button and it range finds is, you know, it finds the site, it sets the pin and does the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I used the Trigicon Acupin okay. for a lot of years and it was one of the first single pin um, adjustable sites. And it's really handy because all of the yardages are laser engraved in the wheel. Okay. Right. <clears throat> There's no fussy sight tape or yeah. anything like that. And I'm only talking about this site because I love it. Um, 
Trijicon doesn't give me free shit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I started using that. It was my first single pin. I fell in love with it 100%. And when the Garmin Zero came out, I switched over to the Garmin Zero. I love my Garmin watch. Absolutely phenomenal watch. Yeah. You know, I love my inReach. Yep. The Garmin Lifesaver. Zero was not what I wanted it to be. Yeah. And I and I really tried and I and I gave it a year and a half. Um I missed 3 bucks with it uh due to misranging. Okay. Um it crashed on me, it froze on me. Uh it was very difficult because like when it comes to my bow sight, I'm not thinking that like, hey, I need to plug this into my computer before the season starts. Yeah. And check for an update. That's almost too much going on. Right, I mean, and I, like, and I mean, like, too much going on behind the scenes before I even get into the field. Sure. You know, like updates and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and my last time I used it was at Total Archery Challenge last year. Okay. And I had it dialed. I had updated everything, and multiple targets on the range. I would, you know, come to full draw. And for me, you know, like I was saying, sixty, sixty-five, seventy. You know, I'm fairly confident all the time yeah with that for sure and i'm taking shots and it's misranging little sticks that are hanging at uh, 20 yards yeah, or you know and and then the those are at the total archery challenge a lot of their shot plate their the way that they arrange all the shots it's very lifelike it's very in the field it's very realistic yeah and i've never it, done any of those i've seen everyone that super does fun them, but yeah super fun and we were talking about earlier the west coast archery challenge uh total not total, the one that you guys were doing yeah. in may the last chance broadhead shoot that's coming up may 15th 16th 17th okay absolutely if you can make it you should totally come up i would i would love to do that i yeah. mean some of the people that you say are going to be there good people yeah. and yeah so guy, the shot so do you work at a shop or do you no no okay. i i mean okay. i so identical story to you I've been going to the archery shop since it was open from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. because that gotcha. was when Hans got off his real job and then could go open so the archery he, shop. So he's the owner he's of the... He's the owner of the shop. Okay, okay. And uh, they grew from a backdoor, you know, little tiny hole-in-the-wall shop, exactly what you were saying, how Joel grew from and how long you've been going there, Yeah. into, you know, a premier, you know, top-of-the-line. Okay. They were always top-of-the-line, but their business grew enough that they could open up a range and have a, you know, a very large shop with a lot of options and a lot of products and yeah. all that kind That's of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty neat. There's, to your point there, I mean, regionally, there's only so many pro shops that can carry Matthews or Hoyt like within mm -hmm. a certain area, right? But there's, there's, there are a lot of archery shops like per capita in the state, but there's not a lot of really good ones. Yes. Right. So, yeah. You know, Bakersfield has a shop, and you know Fresno's Fresno shop. Um, what is that called? The uh, trying to think of name. That they've got a decent shop up there. I've done I've done some shooting up there. Um, there's actually a shop down in um, Southern LA that I've been to. That's actually not a bad shop. But there are a lot of shops. But yeah, I, I, I'm partial to locally just for me because you know, like I say, I know the guys there, and and. Uh, they are bow hunters. I mean, right. that's... They, and that's kind of what we look for in a shop that we're going to go to, right? They live and die by yeah. a bow, and if they can't kill with a bow, they're not going to kill it. And it could be a long bow. It could be, um, you know, it could be a... Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it could be a stick and string. I mean, you name it. That's Those guys are... Yeah. They do a lot of Olympic shooting as well, so... 
Olympic recurve. So um, just cool. I mean, and I know a ton of people that just shoot that don't even care to hunt. And yeah. I tell people it's probably one of the most therapeutic things you can do is I'll grab my bow, walk out in the back. I got 30 yards back yeah. here, and I'll just fling four or five arrows, you right. know, because it's just there's something about it, yeah. you know. You can't go in your backyard and shoot a rifle, but you can go back there and shoot your bow. Quietly. You know? Yeah. Not distract the neighbors. These bows now, you don't even know you're shooting them. They're so quiet. Yeah. But So we're 23 minutes into this podcast. Nobody knows who I'm talking to. Why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. You know, tell me a little bit about you, okay. who you are. Yeah. So um, my name's Lucas Pa, and uh, I am currently here living in california i've been here for since about 2003 2004 um i was born and raised in a small town in montana um mm -hmm. town called chinook montana it's up on the high line um you can literally blink when you drive through on highway two and you'll miss it i mean there's no stoplights there's no place to eat there's a gas station about 10 bars and 10 churches that's wow. it so small little town um born and raised on a farm and a ranch um did that whole lifestyle growing up as a kid you know um cabin in the middle of winter and and uh you know farming and dry land farming in the summertime and and uh and just all that that lifestyle and um and i just i i realized as a kid and we grew up hunting i mean i've when i was back last year we were looking through old hunting pictures and with my dad and and uh i mean we were we were like two, three years old, we were out getting our hands inside carcasses. And so it was a way of life. I mean, we, yeah. we grew up, you know, hunting whitetails and mule deer in Montana. And, um, I just, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I didn't want to stay and, and live, you know, on the family ranch and do that whole thing. Um, so both my brother and I, and my brother's, um, three years older than me, we went to school, went to college and, and, and got some education and have kind of went out and, you know, have professional careers. Mm -hmm. Um, outside of the hunting industry and it's kind of funny because i i get a lot of blowback from people it's like do you ever work anymore because people that know that i actually work for a living and actually have a day job and a nine to five um see me hunting all the time because that's what most people see and they always <laughs> wonder if i actually work but i actually do work so well, it's social uh, media too i mean we can make it look however we want oh we can and you'll you won't see hardly anything on my social media about the work and what i do um and a little bit with my family. I mean, I'm not married. I don't have, I don't have any kids. So my life outside of my job is, hunting. is, is being outdoors hunting. It's, I love to hunt. I love to fly fish. I love to just go out and just be out in the outdoors. And I don't even, sometimes just hearing birds tweeting to me is like, you know, it's incredible, yeah. you know, cause it, what it does is it takes me away from the interference of my day work, which is working in oil and gas in the state of California, which is kind of an oxymoron <laughs> when you grind. really think about it. But, um, and it's been a great career, but, um, it, 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 it well, it's gets allowed me away you to do that. so many wonderful hunts too. Yeah. It's allowed me a lot livelihood wise. Um, but it also, I think it's a balance for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if I only was in the outdoors industry, like I go to shows to go to shows to hang out, I have no commitments. Yeah. I'd love to see people go to booths, hang out with people, go out, drink beers at night. Like that's why I love to go to shows. I think if I was in the industry and I had to be up in the morning and go get the booth right now, I don't know that I would love it as much yeah. if I was in it like that. But, um, that's not to say at some point in my life, I'll be done doing day job work and want to commit my life to that, you know? Yeah. But, uh, 
it's uh it's been a good ride and uh since i've been here um yeah i've been i've, I've been able to travel um to places all over the world i mean australia new zealand um, africa argentina um, russia i mean a lot of different places and hunt a lot of different species of animals and um yeah well, your my collection work is, of taxidermy is I mean, coming into your garage tonight was just jaw-dropping. <laughs> you know, I mean, bears, lions, you know, everything that you could think of under the monster bulls, yeah. you know. a lot of elk. Um, a lot of elk. Yeah. A lot of great elk, man. I yeah. can't even kill a bull that's hits 300 yet. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've only been on, God, how many elk tags have I had in my life? I've had four elk tags, so I've killed two cows and two bulls. Yeah. So that's good. I yeah. mean, I'm 100% so far. You can't beat that. It's all with a rifle, but like but, the bulls I mean, you're putting down are like, oh my god. But if you do the math, and and most people do or don't. I mean, I'm a I, so I apply in a lot of states. I've been applying for a lot of years. I'm kind of a numbers guy. I'm an engineer, mm -hmm. so I like numbers. But um, when you do the numbers, it's it's about ten to fifteen percent success yeah. rate right now. That's archery hunting. So so when you think about it, most guys will go on average eight to ten years before they'll ever kill an elk. Yeah. Right? Well, my my first deer that i ever killed in the state of california it took me i think 11 or some odd years before i was ever to, able to have success i mean since then and learning so much more and spending so much more time in the wilderness yeah i've really been able to hone in my skill and become way better at finding animals yeah um but to get there i mean it's it's a task. It's experience yeah and it's time in know, the field all day time in the field it's experience i mean you know, we were kids, we, we would shoot the heck out of elk. I mean, we were rifle hunters as kids. So we would go out and dad would take us and we'd shoot, you know, cows. We'd occasionally come across a bull and shoot a bull, but generally we shot a lot of cow elk as kids, but cows so much tastier. Yeah. I mean, you can't eat the antlers. I always say that. Right. But, um, but, but <laughs> hunting, hunting a certain species, you learn their behaviors, you learn what they do, you learn where they're at, what they do in that time of day. Like, you know, I've, I've, I haven't I haven't rifle hunted elk in a long time, but I I have a probably my biggest passion is chasing elk with a bow, mm -hmm. and um, I have to have like two elk tags in my pocket a year. Like if I don't, I like freak out. It's like <laughs> I need a New Mexico tag, I need Nevada, I need Arizona, I need something in addition because I'll always have a Montana tag because I go back and and do one of their non-resident um, native non-resident programs. So. Basically, I get to That's go back. That's a really wonderful program that I get they to have. go back and hunt elk and deer for a pretty pretty cheap rate. And guaranteed what you pay. tags, pretty much. Guaranteed tags, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I always do that, uh, and then I'm trying to put another elk tag in my pocket. Um, but as I've gotten a little more advanced, I'd say in the last three or four years, like I've been adding in like these hunts, like in Alaska when I go chase moose. So this year I'm going to hunt stone sheep in BC. Really? In August. So when and I do stuff like that. It, it starts to interfere with September, which is the time of year, you know, we're, we want to be chasing elk. So. Right. So you're going to go on a September hunt in BC. So I'm going in August. Oh, really? Yeah. I okay. got the first, I got the first dates, um, August 1st through the 15th in Scoop Lake, uh, in the south end of the Kazier Mountains. Um, Randy Johnson from Utah, High Desert Sheep um, Wild Guides, he's going to be going with me. So I'm excited about that. Um, and yeah, this is just a a dream come true yeah. you know i mean to go chase a sheep is is incredible but to do BC it is something else man i mean see, i've never i I'm, went up there this last year on a stone sheep hunt up okay. to uh to Shoddy river okay and we did a 15-day horseback hunt 
and it was wow. you know it's, it was right in october it was october 1st through the 15th so it was okay. literally the end of the season and uh halfway through we got you know a foot to a foot and a half of snow dumped on us it was a really really amazing hunt and like uh i'd say one of the most amazing parts of it was watching seeing seeing some stone sheep that hadn't turned color yet from that gray to like a real dark and an almost blackish color. Yeah. But that was one of the really amazing benefits of the later season hunts. Yeah. Is those coats are just so beautiful, man. Yeah. It's and really I, crazy. And see the the permits that at least I was I would say applying for, but with the outfitter that I'm using, um, they're all in certain times of the year and what I, I guess I'm learning more about at least stones is is um, you know, the 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 country of british columbia and canada is is reducing the number of stone sheep permits really and it's, and it's happening year after year and what that's doing it's a whole supply and demand thing so when the supply starts going demand down and demand stays the same what happens the price goes up so mm -hmm. um they're talking that now with grizzly bears being you know um banned at hunting there which is becoming obviously a a, a huge terrible you know, issue. issue right oh, now yeah. there and they're wanting to look at, you know, adding other species to this list that it's just driving the price of the stones up to where. Well, the wolf problem up there is out of control. Absolutely. I mean, the, yeah. uh, even for the elk, you know, the, the cow to calf ratio is terrible now. Yeah. You know, there's some great elk in BC. Huge bulls. I mean, you know, the downside with the dates I have is there's no other huntable species the first two weeks of August. So oh, really? I can't go and can't do add like on a, a combo. Yeah goat or caribou which is fine because i'm gonna go i'm gonna kill one with my bow and and so i'm gonna probably need all 15 days to do yeah, that it's gonna be but, so epic <laughs> so how excited are you man i'm pretty i'm pretty jazzed yeah. yeah it's it's literally it's like less than like five months away so it's like and this will be your second sheep yeah so your first sheep you killed in colorado yeah which was a rocky mountain correct and how was that because um, that was, I would imagine that was DIY. Yeah. 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 So it was different experience. Um, I mean, Leadville in that area in Colorado, um, S12 is a, it, it's a, it's a high Alpine area. You're hunting sheep where you're hunting elk though. So it's kind of interesting because literally um, on that hunt, there were literally elk bugling. There were black bears moving around and then there were sheep above the timberline. I mean, How it was just, crazy. it was an incredible place. Um, so, but I've never hunted in BC. I've never hunted in Canada. Like I've hunted in Canada. I've never hunted in BC for sheep. So, you know, they're saying, you know, you're going to be at like four or 5,000 feet. And I'm thinking, okay, I hunt elk at 8,000 feet. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and most Rockies, if you hunt Colorado, Idaho, you're hunting at eight to 10,000 feet, you know, Wyoming. So I, I'm, I'm trying to adjust to the fact that, you know, this isn't like a, um, super remote. I mean, it's super remote, but it's not like a super, um, I elevated. would say elevated, but like, like super, um, you got to be in just tip top shape to do like a, a stone sheep hunt because I mean, I'm seeing pictures of guys that are shooting them that are like, yeah, they're putting them on horseback. They're going in and they're shooting legal rams, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I, I am super stoked. I'm, I'm super looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be similar. I think we're going to go in on horseback. We're going to spike out and then we're going to move from spot to spot as until needed. Until you find them. Until we find them. Um, when you talk to the owner, he's also a pilot. He says, you know what? He goes, 
a lot of times you just need to sit in one general spot or one location in glass. And what you'll find is, is there are sheep there. You just got to wait and you got to find them. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and he said the benefit to the dates that I'll have are, um, it's the first crack at them. So it's the first season and he flies the area a lot. So he has a pretty good idea of before what's where everything starts to really scatter. So, um, he says coming in, there'll be two other hunters in the camp. Um, but those two hunters are actually going to be based at a camp and going in and out each day and staying in the lodge. Whereas my thing is going to be different. We're going to be on the mountain and that's what I want. I want, I want that that's experience. The experience, man. That's the experience. And that too. I mean, cause when I was up at Toshodi, one of the biggest things that I was looking at was like, they were doing moose hunts and goat hunts and, um, caribou hunts and stone sheep hunts. I believe they have like seven or nine stone tags up there. Um, and I'm talking to them about their different pricing and everything on all of their hunts. And they were like, well, you know, you really got to think when you're doing an elk hunt, you know, you're not necessarily paying, you know, I think it was like 13, five or 15 or something like that. Like you're paying more for the BC hunting experience. Right. And it's such a different experience to fly in you know, or mm-hmm. boat in, it was how yeah. it was where we went, Yeah. you know, and you got to think of the cost of all of the supplies that they buy come from town on an airplane yeah. or by boat, you know, it's, there's so much more Nothing's cost. easy there logistically, Dude, right? Living in the bush is not easy. Yeah. None of it, you yeah. know, so yeah, it's a their wake margin up is so small on that, you know, so when they're charging that for an elk hunt, you're, you know, exactly what you said. You're paying for the experience. Yeah. I mean, obviously stone sheep's a little bit different, you know, and like you were saying, the prices always go up to yeah. six to eight percent a year. Yeah. Knock back on tags and yeah. everything like that. But it's, it's just, I mean, prepare yourself for an amazing yeah. time. Man. No, I'm, I mean, I've, so I've done some pretty remote, crazy kind of stuff. I mean, last year I did a moose hunt in, uh, in, I would say, I think it's Southwest Alaska is what they consider it, but it was more on the Western side of Alaska to the little bit to the east, Northeast of the peninsula. And, uh, it was a DIY. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a transport trip. And, uh, so we fly into this little village in Antioch is the name of the town. And it's that way. I mean, it is, it is feast or famine there. I mean, it's crazy when that, when the airplane shows up, everyone goes to the airport and they all grab their tomatoes avocados their onions i mean their lettuce whatever right i mean that's that's how people live there um we hunted in kodiak a few years ago in larson bay same way we drop the plane in and the pilot kicks the back open and all everyone shows up and they all grab their whatever right so when you think about here right i mean i'll run down to the store and grab a flat of water which now you can't even get a roll of toilet paper anywhere but. fucking can we tangent really quick about the coronavirus yeah, absolutely so i'm dealing with that at work right now so <laughs> it's a whole it's a pandemic times 10 at my work oh my god so it, it it's bizarre man it's absolutely bizarre and the reality of it is um it's kind of scary because what it is doing to the economy it's driving are you watching the stock market the stock market destroyed terrible. right now it's, oil, I mean, it's oil price is everything. It's, it's ugly. And a lot of it is, it is driven by, cause there's so much uncertainty, yeah. right? The transmission rate is happening so fast right now. Everyone's like wondering, well, the flu does this, the flu does that. Well, yes and no. The difference between this and the flu, at least the research we've been doing um, through work is, is one, the transmission rate is off the chart right now, how it's basically being transmitted through 
you know, populace. The second thing is, is when you get the flu, okay, you may be hospitalized for a day or two. This coronavirus is putting people in ICU for like 15 days, intensive care, like really? serious care. And it, the funny thing about it is, at least what I'm learning more about it is, it, it's, it's not hitting children. So children are actually good. It's really elderly or have any, you know, any other health symptoms. So immune deficiencies, yeah, immune deficiencies, autoimmune stuff. So, but, um, you know, it, it, dude, it's bizarre. It's crazy. It's insane, man. What's going on right I now. Mean, I mean, basketball tournaments are stopping. NBA shut down. Opening day Dodgers isn't like colleges, high schools, grade schools, big, any, any big events, any areas where you're having peer to peer contact with people, all that stuff's being evaluated. Google and Cupertino shut their office down and said everyone work remotely from home, right? Now, there's there have been like eight cases in Santa Clara County, so there's a little bit of, you know, concern yeah. in the San Jose, Silicon area. But um, companies are telling people work from home, telecommute, because you don't, I mean, the, the whole social, you know. We don't want to destroy our company's population of employees. Yeah, I mean. You get one person infected and, you know. There goes the office. Quarantined, right? 14 days. There's this whole thing. I mean, I have friends over in Germany right now. And I saw them a week ago. We were at Barrel House having a beer. And I'm like, are you sure you guys really want to go there? Like, Italy's really close. And that's like a country you won't leave. And they're like, oh, it's going to be fine. So they all went over there. They posted a picture on Instagram the other day. Hey, we're in Germany drinking beer. And then Trump last night gets on and says, anyone traveling foreignly, adding, you know, internationally is on lockdown for 20 days. So I sent him a message. I said, how's that 20 day thing? No look? Way. Yeah. Yeah. They're hosed right now. So it's a tangent. It's crazy. And it's scary at the same time, yeah. you know, because you're right. Look what it's done. Oil prices plummeted. Stock market is at the worst day since 1987 yeah. today. I mean, what did it go down today? Over a thousand points, I think. Really? Because I know the bleeding was rough on Monday morning. Oh, it's it, so. I know they shut I it down with a because bunch of guys. It was so bad. So the Dow was down twenty three fifty three. It dropped wow. to twenty one thousand. Nasdaq seven fifty. So I literally work with a guy who's retiring next week. Oops, not and, anymore. Well, he is because I mean his thing is is he's still invested in the market, but yeah. he's buying cheap in his mind, and he's he knows it's going to come back. Yeah, yeah. he's bonded up, but. It would be scary thinking about, you know, being retired right now and, and my parents, how, volatile, man. how volatile that is if you're in the market right yeah. still. so Yeah, my parents, one of the biggest things I always talk to my parents about is, you know, diversify, get out of the stock market. Because, I mean, in 2008, when everything crashed, what was our highest market that we'd had at that time? It wasn't above 10,000. I can't even remember what it yeah. is right now, but... 08, well, 08, 09, everything. The housing market crashed. Everything. Everything was... was Oil oil price did this and then crashed, yeah. you know? Oh, it was a, it was a huge readjustment. Silver and gold, was wonderful for well, everybody. Well, precious that, metals, and, yeah. over time, have always been you know? a good good place to invest. Yeah. You know? Because, well, it's... You know, it's, it's... I mean, we have a fiat currency, which we could totally dive into that and i really don't want people to know how much i actually have spit, paid a lot of attention to all that but one of the best things for people that are buying silver or gold can do right and and this was something that was taught to me a long time ago if if something were bad were to ever happen silver dimes silver nickels silver quarters because they all have a percentage of silver they all have 
precious metal value and they'll always carry that and they'll always hold it. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, you'll always have it. The, the best part about coins, and I don't mean one ounce bullion coins or little tiny bars or anything like that, is that if something were to happen and you needed to buy a loaf of bread, you can't necessarily pull out a pocket knife and shave off a weight yeah. of your an ounce 10 of, ounce bar yeah. or your one ounce bar. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't do you much but good. But you could have four 10 cent pieces, which is the equivalent in a fair trade, right? So it's, it's interesting. Always yeah. on the barter system. Is, yeah. I used to pay way too much attention to Ron Paul and, you know, and the Fed and I spent a lot of time. Yeah, well, well, years ago, years ago, I, I tell you, I mean, from a lot of you, you bring up a good point. I mean, we've, we've kind of gone on a little <laughs> rant here, but precious metals, I mean, over time mm -hmm. have shown to be probably the best investment of anything. Always. Um, and the other interesting thing I always think is, is real estate. That's where my mind goes well, land when I think is, of investment. Land is 100%. And interest rates right now are retarded. They're like two yeah. and a half percent. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to refinance my house just because why not? Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah. And my rate, the only reason why I haven't refinanced in the last 10 years since I bought my house is strictly 100% because my rate was a 3.5. And there's Which no. Which is a good rate. There's no better rate than a 3.5 yeah. until all of a sudden right now. I know. It's you know? crazy. So, yeah, it's. I guess if we were to stay on this time, I mean, it's, it's interesting times. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Trump supporter. I'm a, you know, Don Jr. and I have gotten to be friends over the last couple of years. I see him at shows. I just saw him recently here in Vegas at a fundraiser deal they did. Um, yeah, I saw that. That looked like a good time. It was cool. Yeah. I and mean, I'm, a, I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get political on this, but yeah, it's fine. Um, there's a, there's just a lot going on in the, in the country, in the world right now. And, and it's what to me, is amazing to me how a country like Russia or Saudi Arabia can do a few little subtle things and how much it can actually disrupt the whole world. Oh yeah. And it's, the ripple effect is just enormous. It man. is. I mean, if the Saudis want to do pinch something back or export less oil, the whole world changes. And, and I'm in the oil business. That's what I do. That's my, that's my livelihood. So no that's one my sees job. it better than you. And, and I'll tell you, um, it's, it's very volatile right now. Uh, but at the same time, it's amazing how much OPEC and the rest of the world hinders based on, Saudi Arabia, and that's the only thing they export. Saudi, there's nothing else in Saudi Arabia but export oil. And right now, there's like four million barrels excess on the market right now because people aren't traveling, right? Um, there's a lot of airplanes that are in the air right now. I mean, that, that you can't even you can down there get a flight for free right now. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, so there's so much travel that's been shut down, which has created a little bit of a of an excess in the country. Which when that happens. There's a huge readjustment that happens with oil price, wow. uh, but a lot of it hinders on the Middle East and they, in oil price, I will say oil price drives the economy. It drives the stock market. It drives a lot of things when you really look at it. So, and we can go into this if you want, just because, I mean, why not? You're here. Um, how difficult would it be for us to go from foreign oil dependency to being strictly inside the u.s and why are we not doing it already a great question i get asked that a lot and um, i'm sure you do yeah and it, it's, but i'm sure at the same time valid, there's a really really good explanation it's a for valid it. it's a valid question so um so there's a couple components there 
Let's talk about California first, and mm-hmm. then we can talk about the United States. Yeah. The United States, for the most part, is is pretty self-dependent on our own oil. Okay. Um, we still export in, um, and I don't know what the global ratios are. It, it's a 60-40 split. I mean, you get outside of California, North Dakota, Texas, Colorado, Wyoming, um, there's a ton of oil being produced there, and they're sending that oil out everywhere. Let's talk about California. So the kind of the myoptic view of California is is we're about 70% where we rely on someone else's oil in this state. We produce about 30% of the state's oil in, in the state of California. Highest demand in the whole United States mm-hmm. in the state of California. Um, so we have refineries in California. We have refineries in the Bay Area. We have refineries in the LA Basin. There's, there's no reason why we couldn't be completely self-dependent on our own oil. The only thing that gets in our way is, is the regulators in, in, in the state of California. And I think right now, honestly, what's been happening in about the last year or so, that um, I truly think that the governor's trying to put um, oil and take oil out of California. And what they're doing is it's, it's, it's kind of like gun laws. So if we want to parallel two scenarios, right? Yeah. Okay, we can't ban this gun, but we're going to ban the ammunition. Or we're going to ban... Um, you know, you have the right to have this size magazine or they're going to do everything they can do, right, to get at you Then just say, hey, we're not going to we're not going to ban the gun. We're going to ban the ammo or we're going to ban this. So it, it essentially what it does is it cripples you, right? Completely. It's the same thing. So they don't want to come out and say we want to ban oil, but we're going to ban on how you recover it. You can't frack anymore. You can't do water injection. So these are technical things, but these are all things that require you to be able to recover oil. Yeah. So that's where they're hitting us right now. And it's, it's, I work for a pretty large organization um, and, uh, and, and, and we're fine, but for the smaller companies, it's putting them out of business and they can't comply regulatory wise. The regulation in this state is, is almost constant, absolutely absurd when you really think about it. Um, We've put a bigger value on a lizard than we've put on people's livelihood to drive and do things. You know, it's like, no, but you can't drill a well there because um, there's a, you know, a blunt-nosed leopard lizard habitat. It's like, okay, five years ago, we just drilled a well there, and, like, they still lived and figured Everything it out. Everything was fine. Right. Yeah. So, um, so there's a lot of reasons, um, but I think the biggest reason why we're not energy independent is because um, I don't think our governor wants us to be. Yeah. He wants us to be a wind company. He wants us to be a solar company. He wants us to be alternate energy other than oil. And uh, it's unfortunate because I honestly don't think that it's legitimately feasible for us to be off of oil. It, I, don't, I don't think that it's actually possible to segue into only solar or windmills or whatever. And not only that, I would really love to know when we put in these solar fields that are immense. Yeah. What does introducing that kind of heat into the environment create and how much damage is the heat that's generated by those solar fields i mean look at vegas damaging right? our environment have yeah. you driven and that the huge issue yeah. they had there was the birds because all the arrays move and what they do is the arrays move they shoot that that basically that that solar sun array up to the one tower which takes the power and generates it well you have birds flying in here that are like getting zapped by the burnt solar array burnt to death because of that so and that you know that's that's a concern, right? When I think of like 
solar and I think of electric cars, I think of the amount of waste that comes with those, mm -hmm. the batteries and some of the other stuff um, that, you know, I mean, you can argue it both ways. I mean, in well, there's waste in everything, though. I mean, really, realistically, that to solve, you know, whatever problems that everybody says that we have over any of it, there's 7 billion people on the planet. We need to get back, we need to get down to about 2.5 billion people yeah. on the planet. If we want to solve, yeah. we need a little natural <laughs> here selection. That here needs we to are happen. solving the world's problems, hey, but like literally, right. we need five billion people to die. Yeah, and there's there's a process that can do that, and it's it's called the coronavirus. <laughs> you know, what I mean that's that's a bad so way to look at it. Up, Biological so warfare, valid. and who knows? Who they knows? think it's a man-made. So China, yeah, China. But to just to just before we leave that that yeah. conversation. If we were allowed to drill more and do the things that we've done for a hundred years, mm -hmm. we would be energy independent. But we we are hamstrung by the by the government in the state of California. And the and the, the it's down, fucking terrible, man. It is. And 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 the downside is is you know, the federal government doesn't get involved. You know, that's it's the Yet. Department of Energy knows what's going on, but California is its own it's its own union, it's its own state, right? And uh, well, how much of America is dependent upon California? How much, how much, excuse me, how much internet based business is based off of consumerism out of California? Oh, yeah. You well, know, how many sales, how much revenue is produced for all these other areas all over the nation out of people buying stuff online out of California? An immense amount. Yeah, absolutely. You know, how does that stuff get there? Gas, baby. Airplane. Yeah. Trucks. Amazon. What's Amazon going to do if it doesn't, you know? So another funny story. Gavin Newsom came down. He flew down to our county, Kern County, where I work, and, and uh, visited one of our competitors who had had an oil spill, and he was there to look at the oil spill. And so um, he started out kind of pro-oil. This is why we need oil, and it was kind of like weird. And then it got to the whole conversation about, well, this is how you can't operate you're not responsible, blah, blah, blah. Someone in the, someone in the, in the um, audience had asked him, you know, we, we understand, you know, all this, but sir, governor, how, how did you get down here today? Cause he flew to Bakersfield and then they drove out to the oil field. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I had to, we flew our, we flew a plane from Sacramento down here and, and, uh, flew our private jet. Yeah. Private jet down. Yeah. Which we all pay for and then took a suburban. So it's just like, in do a you, motorcade, do you, do you I'm sure. get it? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you get it? Like you, you couldn't do that or do this stuff without oil. So oil. I don't know. <laughs> common sense is not common anymore. It's, it's, not, it's terrible. But there's a good book called common sense. I've read it a yeah. time or two. It's so anyway, by a not pretty to, good author. not to segue, but, um, yeah, it's interesting times. Yeah. It's a good time to be alive. It's a great time to, it's a great time to be a hunter. Yeah. I mean, hunting is so popular. It is. And so cool these days. It's a, it's a click thing now. It's it, a, I would say within the industry, it's a click thing, but looking from the outside in, it's not at all. Yeah. Right. So for the new hunter, they have no idea and they're completely oblivious to it Yeah. until they get involved maybe to some, uh, you know, whatever degree. Yeah. I mean, that, cause I don't think I ever realized how 
clicky and fucked up the hunting industry was and you know how much theft happens and all different kinds of things across oh, yeah. the board in the hunting industry yeah yeah it, you know it is i mean and i've I met mean, a lot as of people in any industry but it is i've met a lot of people that are midlife and starting it you know mm-hmm. like i had a buddy of mine he's his early 40s and he started hunting a few years ago and he's just like totally like he's a he's an archery freak now i mean he tweaks and he loves all that stuff on his bow but yeah but it's like it's cool because it's cool to see someone find that passion at some point in their life. Like me, I've been hunting off and on my whole life, either really seriously or we did it for the meat or whatever. Right. There was always a reason that we hunted, but, um, so it's cool to either introduce people to it or see people find a passion and, and take it and go. And, uh, just cause for, like I say, for me, I've been doing it for, for a long time. It's not, it's not that like for me now, I don't do it for like, the meat I, I don't the whole meat movement thing that's not my click that's not my thing yeah. you know like i i love the meat the yeah meat's we great, just ate would right? we eat wild boar tacos yeah. tonight yeah that were Carnita fucking tacos. phenomenal tacos yeah. man the meat is phenomenal but for me it's gotten to more where it's the experience yeah you know like i love going out and experiencing something and it's different every time so in the experience now i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a question at you in the experience, there's two two types of the experience, right? There is the experience of the hunt, and then there's the hunt and the experience of the successful hunt, or calling the hunt successful only when there's a kill. Yeah. And what are what are you? What's your take on that? It's for me, it's the hunt, right? Um, so I've 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 actually had a lot of really good tags in my life. I've drawn some stupidly good tags. And I've driven home on those hunts with no meat in the cooler. Yeah. And I look back on those hunts, um, one of which that, that stings me a little bit. Um, I hunted New Mexico, drew a tag. I'll probably never draw an elk tag again in New Mexico. Hunted with Randy Newberg for like five days. How cool was that? It was awesome. I mean, we had a shared camp with him, elk hunted with him. I mean, it was a blast, yeah. you know. You get to run into like some pretty crazy people in the field when you're hunting. You do. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Now. Yeah. Randy, Randy and I have been friends for a while and we were collaborating on this hunt prior to, um, oh, okay. he had been in Alaska, um, the whole month of August and he'd shot his caribou. He had shot his doll sheep. Um, and he got back like, like August 29th, he flew back and he calls me and he goes, he goes, sorry, I haven't got a hold of you. He goes, I've been in Alaska hunting cause we were trying to line up cause he had the first tag and I had the second tag season, but I was going to go and help him through his hunt. And then I had my, my tag started. Um, anyway, long story short, um, we were trading information talking about, you know, cause we had basically, we had the same unit, same tag, just different, different dates. I had the second season dates. He had the first season dates. He hunted for 10 days. Um, and then till I got there with him, he had not seen a legal bull. I mean, Tamale, you know, a bull that they wanted to shoot. Any bull mm-hmm. in New Mexico, you can shoot a spike if you want. But so we got there and we hunted for three, four days with him, and we started getting into elk. And uh, it wasn't until the last day. And this was a cool experience. And when I think about an experience, this is a this is what I guess one of my punchline I'm getting to. Randy was hunting with his uncle Jim. His uncle Jim lives in in Alaska. Jim's never hunted elk before. Um, never been in an elk rut. Never. I mean. We wake up in the morning, and I don't know if you've ever elk hunted in New Mexico or been in New Mexico. It's the most beautiful elk country in the world, hands down. Really? They get the summer monsoons. 
you know, July, August, the rivers are flowing, the, the, the mountains are green and then September comes and it's like quintessential elk country, right? It's, it's green, it's beautiful, it's flourishing. So we're, we're literally hunting this, this checkerboarded BLM strip and uh, it was the last day of their tag. So I split up, Randy and his uncle went to one spot, I went to another spot, I'm driving down this road and I see like eight bulls in this BLM strip. So I call Randy, I'm like, hey, I got freaking eight bulls here. Um, so he's like, where are you at? So we told him. And uh, so anyway, he meets me. And I said, what do we got to lose? I said, I sat and cow called. These bulls walked off. I cow called. They stopped. They turned around. They walked back. I cow called again. They'd stop. I'm like, let's go try to kill one of these bulls for you guys, you know? Because um, the night before, we had sat a water hole, and we had this pretty nice six-point come in, but Randy wouldn't take the shot because it was too dark. And those that know Randy, he's he's probably – the most honest, ethical guy you're ever going to meet. I mean, he's almost brutally honest to the point where if he shot an illegal animal, he would turn himself in, right? That That's yeah. the kind of guy he is. Um, so anyway, I would have probably taken the shot on that bull. I told Matt, but he didn't feel comfortable. I totally got it. So we go, we get in on these elk and, um, and we get Jim set up and Randy wasn't even hunting at this point. He wanted his uncle to, to shoot a bull. So we knew about where these elk were. Um, I was back probably a hundred yards. Randy was probably offset about 75 and his uncle was kind of this little triangle thing with us. And then Marcus was there, camera guy and Dan, their camera guys were there all set up. And, uh, so we start cow calling and immediately this raghorn just comes, you know, running into me and I'm standing there and I'm my, I'm not even hunting yet. My season starts tomorrow and Randy's looking over at me and he's fiddling around. So this bull comes in and stops and like, I'm looking at him and I'm probably like, five yards from it and he's standing there looking at me like you know doing this little raghorn he wins me runs off so we're like you know that was cool we start cow calling again <laughs> all of a sudden this bull walks and jim's set up in front of us and this bull walks right in front of jim he's by himself he's never you know he's never elk hunted the bull's 30 yards stops broadside so i'm looking at randy randy stops calling randy's you know going looking at me like going like this like is he gonna shoot so Jim pulls back and he's sitting there with his bow back and he's sitting there for like a minute and then you start, I'm watching him and you can start to see him shaking. So then the bull walks and then he, he, he parallels Jim and he gets into the juniper, but he stops and his vitals are like right there, like gotta be 30 yards. Jim lets down, bull walks by the tree. Jim pulls back again, like 10 seconds waits there. The bull walks off. Jim lets down, and Randy. By then, the hat comes off. He's, you know, Randy's throwing his hat down because he's like, "What are you doing?" So uh, that whole that whole thing blows up, and there, well, the rest of the bulls were in there. They ran off, and uh, so we walk up to his uncle Jim, Jimmers, he called him. He goes, "Jim, are you kidding me?" He goes, "You had an opportunity at a bull," and he goes, "You know what, Randy?" He goes, "This was what I needed." He goes, "I didn't need to kill a bull." He goes. This was probably the most exhilarating experience I've ever had elk hunting. He goes, I'm good. He goes, I don't even need to elk hunt again. And I'm Randy dead. was just like, <laughs> it was just, so to your point, like yeah. it's different for everybody. It is. Right. Completely. Me, I'd have probably last day I'd have hammered that thing. Yeah. You know, Randy was like freaking shoot. out. Why isn't he going to shoot? Um, his uncle. He was that good. was all he needed. We man. went back and they had llamas. We packed, helped them pack, get the llamas packed up. Um, and then they were heading back to Montana. And uh, the smile on his face, his uncle, the whole time, 
and he was bragging. I mean, there was people in the, we'd camp in this BLM camp. I mean, there's people there that knew Randy and, you know, he's got Tennessee plates on his Titan. So he tries to stay low key, but that guy can't stay low key anywhere he goes. <laughs> and, uh, he could try. Jim's telling the story to these other group of hunters in there. And it was just cool seeing the excitement he had, you know, never yeah. elk hunted before, never had that experience. Um, anyway, I hunted for, for 12 days subsequent to that by myself. I was there on a solo trip. Um, I had a couple buddies there for one weekend and um, turned up some incredible bulls. Drove home from basically Pie Town, New Mexico, all the way home. The whole way in my head thinking I could have shot two or three different bulls sitting over water if I wanted to, and I didn't. And uh, But I look back on it, and I thought had I shot a bull the second day on water when I saw like a small six point, I would have never saw three of the probably biggest bulls I've ever seen in my life yeah. on that hunt mm-hmm. and had an experience. And hey, got, you're not going to see the big ones without waiting. Exactly. And getting in close on one of them and almost having an opportunity and just, it didn't come together. So that was a hunt that stings me still because I'll probably <laughs> never draw that tag again. But, um, you know, you live and learn, you move on and yeah, you grow. I, I wounded a bull in Montana two weeks before that, a good six point, never found it. So I was like uh, coming off that hunt saying, okay, you know, I'm, I want to shoot a good bull here in New Mexico and just didn't well, kill an elk that year. You and know? it's all part of it too, though. And, and I think that that's one thing I think people get mixed up is that like, I mean, especially when archery hunting, injuring an animal is 100% possibility every time. And it, it is. And it, in my opinion, it can happen on something that's at 10 yards or something that's at 50 yards because the arrow flight, uh, anything can change yeah. when that bow goes off. Yeah. You it's, know what I mean? When I, people ask me, I say archery hunting is the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Oh, and so true. The highest of highs is when you make the perfect shot, you see the animal run off and tumble. That There's, there's no better feeling for you or the person you're with that has that. And the lowest of lows is when that same scenario happens and they shoot them two inches too high and you they run off and you never see them again and you spend all night, you spend the next morning looking yeah. and, and that's, that is bow hunting. And that's the crappy part about bow hunting, but that's the reality of bow hunting mm-hmm. is, is, I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I've been, I've, I've hit animals and not recovered them. Yeah. Right. And that's a part of it. Yeah. You know? So I've hit animals with a rifle and not recovered them. It happens, man. I had a, I shot a probably over a 300 plus pound boar right in the chest with a 338 and never recovered that really? pig. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it's with all a part 338. Of it. 338. Were you packing like a 220 on that? <laughs> 220 grain. I think it. I think it was a two. I think it was a 250. Wow. It was a Lapua. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sending it, man. But that happens. So it happens. Yeah. You know, and you just, you, you shoot through meat, you, you know, you, I mean, on a board, you got a, you got a chest armor plate on them. You know, I've skinned pigs out that have had four or five pieces of copper or lead in their armor plate. You know, like, funny. Yeah. It just, so anyway. Hits and sticks, man. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. A lot of stories. I could probably go on with a lot of stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's. So a lot of experiences. What was it like shooting a lion? And when I say a lion, like we're talking South Africa. Yeah. One of one of something that I am just in love with the idea of is yeah. um, serious predator hunting 
animals that can turn on me and kill me yeah with a bow like i i just absolutely 100 percent am in love with yeah. that idea and i don't know if it's the adrenaline rush or what it is about that but it's something that like for me that's a that's a bucket list that is a a life goal is is predator hunting serious predators that you know for example like you can shoot a lion with a bow and it can turn on you in charge mm -hmm. and and you know i mean if if it's not gonna die and there isn't someone there to back you up like you're probably gonna die yeah you know what i mean or cape buffalo I cape mean, you buffalo can go on and exa exactly dangerous cape game. buffalo is something dangerous game that was what i was looking yeah. for thank you very much yeah um there used to be a video game called cabela's dangerous game it's yeah super fun yeah back when cabela's was cool but hunting any i think predator slash dangerous game species in the back of your mind always has that element of yeah you're not the apex predator right you're not the top of the food chain mm -hmm. um to kind of circle back lion hunting so i just shot a lion in montana this last winter in montana and uh it's crazy yeah. i mean it so it's so different even africa lion hunting it's so different than any other experience and here's why because like in a lion experience you're not like you're stalking but it's different you have dogs going you have guys hey you know i mean you have this cat in a tree and the dogs are barking and and it's like so not like an elk hunt where you're trying to be quiet right and you maybe do a cow call and then you're quiet and you got your shoes off and you're like no i mean when you shoot like a lion it's like it's a totally different experience there's so much going on in your mind yeah you got this lion sitting in a tree howling and hissing at you pissed off right um africa is a little different because there's an element of of spot and stock which is is how you hunt them um but you're on the ground and they're on the ground and they eventually end up in a tree yeah. is is how they you know that's that's how this scenario landed they eventually end up in a tree and um, then you just start sticking them with arrows essentially is what happens and then you have a backup guy there with a with a 375 or a 460 right yeah. and that's that was the scenario that played out for us in this case um this you know lions mate for life in africa and anytime a male or a female gets taken out um it it basically lessens the the the, the potential for that lion so basically what they find is is that um, you know, those lions will never breed again. So we're going to sell them at half price or whatever. And mm -hmm. so I ended up getting a screaming deal and, and doing that in South Africa. And, uh, it was, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. It was different. Um, it wasn't like lion hunting here in the States. It wasn't like predator hunting. I mean, I've wolf hunted, I've, I've done bear hunts, I've done all that kind of stuff. And it was so different, um, because there's that element of, of, what you were saying like you're not the apex you're not yeah you know i've been on kodiak and hunted bear i've i've been around bears i've been bluff charged by bears with a bow in my hand at 10 paces you yeah. know and that's and that's spooky. that's a spooky experience too um the difference with that is is you don't have a guy over your shoulder with a <laughs> rifle <laughs> yeah right um so in, in in this case um tree the lion um and uh peppered him with about four arrows came out of the tree and ended up having to finish him with a rifle. Uh -huh. But, um, that's there's part a lot of, it of though, man, it is. And there's so much sensitivity in this there really it, is. right now with lions. And this happened before the whole, the, top. the whole, um, 
whatever the hell the name of the lion was that was shot and, and Cecil. Yeah, Cecil. So this was pre Cecil and, and, and they are on the CITES list and, and uh and it's hard to get them back. I mean you can, but it, it's hard to get them back. Um it's a pain. Um but it goes for any cat now. I mean, look at California, look yeah. what we've done here. Yeah. Mountain lions outlawed, bobcats. They want to add mountain lions to the ESA list and dangerous species list. Yeah, so it's it's actually kind of interesting. So the way that they want to do it is they want to break the state up into unit, units, right? So in specific corridors or specific quadrants of the state is where they want to en- en- like enlist them. Yeah. So in the Sierras, they won't be enlisted on the endangered species list. But, you know, between the 405 and the coastline, they'll be enlisted as endangered species. Which it's all it breaks down really weird. Huh. I, yeah, I haven't I read only, much about it. I just saw a post about it. I only know this. I need to read more about I it. I only know this because I sat down with Bill Gaines the other week, and you know he kind of broke it down a lot as yeah. far as how that all went. He broke down the um the uh, bobcat stuff that came about. Ridiculous. Um, it is ridiculous, you know, and and. Hopefully we get our rights back after two years and some solid scientific research and, and is there some thought that this could that, reverse or, I mean, there's a little bit, but okay. lions probably not though. I'm assuming. Well, so, and lions, I was all always under the impression that because it was passed at state level, that it was four fifths majority of our population. So it's, a, it's, a, would have to vote for it to um, become legal again. And I'm still going to butcher this completely. And now it's not that. It's actually four-fifths of the House has to vote to approve it, which probably will never fucking happen in their state. Or it has to be a majority. Yeah. yeah, Or it has to be a majority of our state's population, Um, which that in itself I don't think will ever pass either. You know, but it's all based off junk science. It's... It's emotion. I don't even think it's based on science. It's not. It never, there was never any, in 1990, there was never any scientific data that they did or research that they did to back up the claims that they were making. I mean, Newsom signed the Bobcat bill in, and I'm not even sure he knew what he was signing. I'm sure he did. And my concern now is it's like, look at the black bear populations in this state. I mean, yep. on that hunt we did with Sean up in, uh, in, in uh, Northern California, we saw three to four black bears a day, yeah. easy. They're I mean, in thick, man. I mean, and talk about Petaluma and go north of that area. It's yeah. crazy. And I have a feeling that's next. Bears. I really do. Um, I, I really think, think, that think that's bears, next. Well, so the next thing from what I understand that they're going after is, is uh, deer hunting with dogs. Because you can still legally deer hunt with dogs. Surprise, surprise. In the state of California. Okay. And that, I think I knew that, but I probably knew it, but never paid that much attention yeah. to it because I've never done it. Yeah. And I had no interest in it. Yeah. Um, do I think that it's probably something that's important for a lot of people? Absolutely. I, I don't think that that should be banned or outlawed. Yeah. Um, that being said, I mean, as far as bears go, I don't think that they will be able to because the numbers are way too high. Um, I think that that what, based off of the Department of Fish and Wildlife's recommendations and going to the Fish and Game Commission, I believe what will happen is they will figure out new avenues 
for us to fill the quotas because the quotas are not being filled. Correct. And I think that that actually is more likely, especially when it comes to bears. Since they took, well, first it was, um, you know, you couldn't use bait. Then they took dogs away mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And they haven't seven. hit, or seven years ago, they haven't hit a quota since mm -hmm. then. Yep. Um, and, but they're, they're everywhere. Yep. They're absolutely everywhere. The pro the problem that they're facing, I think, at, at the state level is that uh, they're having more bear encounters in cities and you can't, it's, you Look know. at mountain lions. Yeah. Just, what was this one recently? It was a guy walking in his kid and the kid threw the backpack at the lion and the lion went up in the tree and took the backpack and yeah i mean that was down in la somewhere i mean it's when it gets to that point at what point is enough enough you know yeah um you think about it with with any predators i mean i saw a video the other day of a wolf running with a, a calf cow in its mouth yeah and it hopped a fence in colorado yeah and they're now going through legislation now in colorado about wolves right and that's a huge that's a talk about sensitivity. I've got some buddies in, in Colorado that are really pushing hard on that. Um, you know, the introduction of wolves, but we've seen what the introduction of wolves has done to elk populations when they introduced them, you know, in our backyard in Montana and Yellowstone and what it's done there. And it's continued to change the behavior of elk. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think part of the issue now, what we're seeing at least, um, you know, since, I mean, since we've now been able to actually hunt wolves, I think we've seen a little bit of a change in populations, but, um, you know, it's just like, I mean, there's a lot of success stories in this country around conservation. I mean, bison is a, is a success story. I mean, Rocky mountain elk are a success story. I mean, you're, you're talking about species that were down in the teens at one point. Yeah. I mean, tule turkeys, tule elk, turkeys in California. I mean, there's so many success stories, but I have a feeling one day, that um, the birds of california man yeah the pacific flyway i mean it's crazy but i think there's going to be a day of reckoning where um wolves are going to be taking over everything across the west and there's not going to be anything well, there's left. already wolves in california yeah and if anybody wolves. wants to debate it they can well they've collared them in northern california you know? yeah i can't remember what wolf that one was um but i, I know for a fact a couple years ago there's a couple wolves that were road killed and then I also know that there's been wolves seen in the Lake Tahoe area. I mean, yeah, they're well, around. they say they're not in Colorado and people talk all the time about wolves. They have on trail cameras in Northern Colorado coming out of Wyoming. I mean, it's, well, it's all, it's all centralizing in my opinion out of Yellowstone. Yeah. And what they did there in what, 1998, 2000. Yeah. The original droid pack. Yeah. You know, reintroducing the wolves and, the wolves having an elk population that was, you know, you probably will correct me if I'm wrong because you're from the area, you know, an elk herd that was roughly 23,000 or something like that, which that might be it's more than that. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. It was close to like 40, 50,000, I think. And they've knocked that elk herd back so far and they were breeding at such a high rate because of the abundance of food that nature was allowing them to reproduce at a higher rate than normal. Oh, yeah you know, because there's such a surplus. And then all of a sudden the elk herd, you know, is, is down to 4,000 where you can't hunt wolves in Montana or any of these other, I mean, you can in some spots, the park, there's quotas, but, yeah. you know, and then they have the buffer zone around the park as well. And yeah, 
you know. But uh, the mortality rate of calves and stuff is just terrible with, with since the inception of, and that's your future, right? I mean, that's if our future for hunting. If you're 100%. not, if you're not, if you're not having, if your mortality rate is 50% on, on calves or more, then eventually these old, these old cows, these old cows are going to die. They can't breed anymore. They can't yeah. give offspring. The bulls are going to die of old age or they're going to get killed hunting. And if your if your calf rate is at fifty to seventy five percent mortality rate, you're not backfeeding what you're losing. It's like almost the California retirement system. It's like right. you can't retire someone and pay them their pension to bring someone else in and pay them the same. It, it doesn't yeah. work, right? Yeah. It's the same thing. Right. So. Um, well, and then I'll, to to close out what I was saying is that now there's wolves in Idaho, there's wolves in Oregon, there's wolves in California, there's wolves in Nevada. There's wolves in Wyoming. There's wolves in Colorado. There's wolves in Utah. I'm sure I haven't heard about it, but I'm sure that there is. Yeah, Arizona. Arizona, even. Holy shit, I didn't. That's yeah. You know, breaking news for me. But and in my opinion, that's all out of that reintroduction. You know, and it's yeah, just the like, stuff down here I think came from Mexico. They're a different breed, but all of the all of the reintroduction that happened in Yellowstone. Um, happened the original droid pack they're they're basically a canadian timber wolf is what they are mm -hmm. they're a bigger sized dog um and uh, by like yeah. 50 pounds they're huge yeah yeah they're huge and i mean an offshoot story about wolves when i was in alaska with my buddy last year we were moose hunting and uh he got sneak attacked by two wolves wow um crazy story actually never documented on a podcast or anything i've been meaning to maybe this is the time to do it but Anyway, I was off. I had shot my bull. I was getting my bull prepared, and I hear a gunshot. And yeah. I'm like, okay, we're both bow hunting, but we both had our sidearms. There's no one else within, like, 60 miles of us. What just happened? What just happened? So then, like, a couple minutes later, I hear two shots, boom, boom. And it, it was a handgun, so I knew it was a handgun. So I'm thinking, when we were running into three to four inland grizzly bears a day, so I figured he, we had, a bear, he had a bear encounter. So I'm like, crap, so... He didn't have his in-reach. I was in-reaching, couldn't get a hold of him. I'm Shit. like, crap, what's going on in here? Panic, I got my dude. moose down. So um, anyway, like a couple minutes later, I hear wolves howling. And when you hear a wolf howl, you, it's... You yeah. feel it, man. Yeah. Is it's that not that, the most spooky ooh, sound? Just that low. Dude. It's not a coyote. I mean, you just you just know that sound. You can hear their lungs vibrating. It's like It's, it's so eerie. Yeah. So I hear that and I'm like, crap. So I put my binos up and I'm looking and I see these two silver tip running across this, this, this glacial valley bottom floor where we were hunting. And I'm like, crap. So wolves. So clearly I knew it was wolves. It wasn't bears. So I break my bull down. Um, I get back to camp at like three in the morning after I completely broke this thing down by myself, got back to camp. I go into the tent. I see the light still on in our tent, unzip the tent. I look in there and he's just he's mummified in his, in his bag and his eyes are still open. And we just had a little light on. I said, Hey man, you all right? He goes, uh, yeah. He goes, you get your bull. I said, yeah. He goes, cool, man. He goes, uh, let me tell you about my day. He goes, all right. He goes, remember that spot on opening morning we went and there was that one bull across the drainage. And I said, yeah, he goes, that same bull was there. He was a good boy. He's 60 plus inch bull. And, uh, so I started just cow calling, you know, just light moose cow call. And he goes, that bull on a string came down that one ridge across the river and within two minutes was 75 yards from me. He goes, it happened so fast. He goes, by the time I looked up, he goes, the bull was standing there basically coming right, right out of the alder, like there. He goes, so I'm 
getting ready to knock an arrow. He goes, I'm kind of positioning myself. And he goes, I hear a twig snap behind me. And instinctively, he thinks it's a bear, right? Because that's, we were dealing with bears the whole time. Draws a sidearm, sets his bow down, turns around, and there's a black alpha male at point blank range Holy right behind him. Holy shit. So he, he shoots it with a 45. Thing runs off, rolls it, kills it. So then he's like, he turns back around, and this bull's like, what the hell? So he starts cow calling again. The bull stops. The bull starts coming back to him. So he gets re-knocked. He gets ready, and he's literally getting ready to draw, and he hears another twig snap, and he's like, turns around, and there's a silver tip right there. So he drops his bow and shoots it twice. Boom, boom. Rolls this one. Point blank range. 165 pounds. He figured 160, 175 pounds. Eight foot from nose to tip. Eight feet? Skinned out. That's a huge dog. So, yeah. (sighs) Yeah. And that bull was gone at that point. Bull was gone. Yeah, it broke his heart, and we spent four days packing mine out, so that was misery. But, um, yeah, uh, there's nothing like, I mean, the lowest percent success rods, you know, in the whole West is wolf hunting. I mean, there's nothing worse. And the chances of finding one in the wild or it's, I mean, it's almost, it's almost impossible, but people do it. You see some of these guys, man, they get after it. They, they put them down and trap them. A lot of guys are trapping them now. And Idaho pays, I think a thousand bucks a wolf. Yeah. There's a bounty on them now. (laughs) Yeah. Utah does a bounty on coyotes. They do those, the, you know, I'm not sure how they do that, but anyway, yeah, it's predator hunting is, it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's a whole different ball of wax. It's one, like I say, it's one thing to go hunt an elk and they wind you and they run off, but it's another thing to go cat hunting where they're sitting in a tree and, yeah. you know, um, crazy story. And last weekend I was out with a buddy of mine and, uh, we were walking and turn over and I look to the left and I see basically grass that's been like tore around. And this is in an area where I would not expect it. And I immediately look over there and I look at him and I said, you know what that is? He goes, I have no idea. We walk over and inside this little cocoon of grass is a dead pig. And I'm like, there's been a lion here. He goes, well, how do you know? I said, that's a lion kill. Yeah. I mean, trust me, lions, pan- I've seen panthers in Florida do it. They bury their, their game and they come back later. So I said, we need to get some trail cameras. So we went up, set trail cameras and he came back that night and hammered the pig. Oh, really? Did you get pictures of it? Yeah. Oh, you'll have to send me some pictures. That's so so cool. That was last weekend, so. I know. I remember you telling me about it. They're all around. Yeah. They're They're everywhere, They're all around. And the crazy thing about this instance was, is when we were standing there freaking out about it, that cat was like 10 yards from us and jumped. He was in the sage, jumped over this down timber tree and ran off. And he was right there next to us. Watching He had just killed that pig. Yeah. So. That's rough. So you've done a lot of DIY hunting. So for you, what has it been like being a DIY guy and being successful in the, you know, in the circumstance of killing? Yeah. Um, you know, what would you recommend for people that want to get into DIY hunting? I mean, I know that for you, uh, you've hunted your whole life, which is really beneficial I mean, I know, like, for me, there's a certain comfortability I have in the woods because I've been out there my whole life. Yeah. I know it. I understand it. Yep. You know what I mean? I understand nature. Um, For a lot of people that want to get into DIY hunting, you know, whether it be social media or, you know, whatever it is that they've heard or 
you know, they just mm-hmm. have this primal urge that they want to pick up a bow yeah. and get into the DIY world. What would you recommend? It's, it's not, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, Hard work. Yeah, it is. I mean, and like, so I'll use my example, this, this last moose trip that I did. I mean, this was complete DIY unguided. This was a year of preparation of getting the transporter set up, finding where we were going to be. Um, logistically weight wise 80 pounds per person on a super cub like i mean it's just everything is is so different than loading up your truck and driving to new mexico buying a landowner tag and doing an outfitted hunt right and one thing i say about you know about you know when you go to these shows and you meet people and and they spend a lot of money at these shows and they buy all these hunts and you know what i look at it and i say you know what the money goes back a lot of it into conservation. Mm-hmm. However, someone decides they want to do it. I think it's great. You know, yeah. you want to pay 200 grand and go to Antelope Island and shoot, you know, a, a 200 inch deer. mule deer. Good on you, man. Yeah. Cause there's a good purpose where that money's going. But if you want to save some money and do it in a way that I think is much more rewarding. And that's, I think I would probably look at it yeah. differently more. It's more rewarding then look at a DIY hunt. And, uh, since I've like done this, this moose trip, I've had a ton of people asking me, Hey man, who'd you use? How'd you do it? Like, I want to do that. You know, cause <laughs> there's talk that Alaska is going to go guided on moose in the next few years. And then it's going to be a $30,000 hunt. Yep. Right. Um, I did my hunt for probably less than eight grand, right. Yeah. For everything. Yeah. There back flights, transport fees, All exporting fees, everything. Right. Um, so, so it's possible. It's just, if you want to do something like that, um, you got to put in a lot of time and effort. And uh, even if it's just a DIY elk hunt, you know, you can put a map on the wall and throw a, a dart at it and say, that's where I'm going to go hunt and hope there's elk there. But if you want to be successful, um, call biologists, right? That's that's like that's like a, a staple thing that I do. If I draw a tag in any unit, I'm calling biologists. I'm calling, in some cases, game wardens who are like in Arizona. They're biologists and wardens. They're their combination and get intel from them yeah you know they'll a lot of times they'll they're tell willing. you they'll tell you information now they're telling the next guy probably the same thing but what i do is i take a lot of that data a lot of information and then i start breaking that down you know i'm a member of hunt fool epic outdoors so i start looking at harvest potential rates i call those guys i say hey um what would you recommend on a you know a, this unit elk hunt and unit 22 in arizona i drew the tag you know so they when they start telling you data and intel, that's when I start really, and I pull, my, I got my Mac up, I got Google Earth on one side, I got Onyx or base map on the other, and I'm looking at three different maps, yeah. looking at where's water, you know, where's north-facing slopes, where's sanctuary, where are they going to bed, you know, where are they going to transition to, like, I do all that, that scouting myself, so when I get there, you know, if plan A isn't good, then it goes to plan B, and I'm always try to have a couple different, you know, plans in my pocket, what I'm going to do. But, um, it, it, I think if you want to be successful, I think you gotta, you gotta put in some time. You gotta call some people, you gotta call some resources. Um, and, uh, you know, even if you want to, like a lot of people say, Hey man, I want to come out and just, you know, hunt black tailed deer in California. I said, there's a lot of opportunities (laughs) to do it, you know, um, private property. There's a lot of private property, but there's public land to do it on. But I said, you got to put in time. Like I say, I know guys that gone years, it took them years to, yeah. to kill a buck, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, and a lot of that, you know, or you can, you know, grab an outfitter here and pay four or five grand and shoot one. It's 
kind of all in your experience, but um, right. you got to put in the time. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. 100%. So, but it's totally doable. Everything you know? is. And, and I, I have, the only time I'll ever use a guide is when I have to. So yeah. I've got to use one in Canada. BC. I've got to use yep. one. Um, Africa, you have to have a pH, right? It's yep. the law. So, and I've hunted in, in New Zealand, you got to have a guide there. Argentina, you got to have a guide there. So, I mean, all these places, when you go international hunting, it's a different culture. It's, it's totally different, right? Um, you know, um, if you go hunt in Russia, you drink vodka in the morning every morning right that's just what you do that's their culture and if you don't do that stuff that you don't it doesn't look good yeah. right i mean there's certain things that cultures do and people do if you go hunt in mongolia they take the blood out of the animal and then they mix it with stuff and they drink it and they think that there's like there's like a purity health benefits to that yeah. right so there it's so interesting when you hunt in different countries the culture and the things that you learn and the things that they do and 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 they don't force a lot of that stuff on you, but it's just what they do and how they do it. And yeah. it's some of it's absolutely bizarre. But um, in the States, I'll do 100% of my hunts on my own just because I enjoy the the everything that leads up to it, uh -huh. right? The success and the animal down and that is cool. To me, that's always the gravy on it. Like if you're talking the experience piece, to me, it's everything that leads up to that experience. Yeah. You know, it's the five blown stocks. It's the... <laughs> in it in it 12 yards and couldn't get a shot you know yeah. it's it's all that the ups and the downs to me the harvest of the animal and the meat and everything else is secondary to me so right. you know a lot of people have been asking you know what's your why and blah 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 and all that and to me it's it's all about the experience yeah everything that leads up to it so right on so uh we'll go with the dead eye question and dead eye outfitters are T-shirts, hats, hoodies, apparel, mm -hmm. lifestyle apparel. I've seen some of their stuff. Yeah, not not hunting gear. Um, great group of guys. Absolutely love them. Um, and they they sponsor a, a question. Okay. For the podcast. Okay. And we're gonna kind of go a little weird, but not really that weird. Okay. For you, what would you say is your? And we kind of talked about it, you know, a little bit. Um, that feeling when you get outdoors, whether you're fly fishing or, you know, whatever it is, the tranquility, you know, the sound of the birds. Um, what is your spiritual connection with the outdoors? So one thing for me that I think, um, I think it's emotionally and spiritually is like, um, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. I mean, I do go to church and, and, you know, I, I believe in God and all that stuff, but when I'm on a mountain and I'm like on top of a mountain, I don't think you could be any closer to God ever than when you're on top of a mountain. And 100%. Uh, for me, um, for me, there's that spiritual aspect of it. The other spiritual aspect of it for me is, is, um, my dad passed in 2001. Uh, he had cancer. And, um, I think of every time I go out because a lot of all of this here is because of him, because had he not, brought my brother up and I in that lifestyle. We, I mean, who knows what we would all be, right? Yeah. I think, and, uh, and spiritually for me, it's every time I'm out either hunting with my brother, we've done some hunts here recently in Alaska together and some other trips, uh, or when I'm by myself or, or with friends, like I think about my dad every time. And yeah. I think about, I know that he's with me on these trips, uh, but it's different. I, I, 
I wish he was with me, you know, you know, in, in spirit, not only in spirit, but also in the flesh. But, um, yeah, I think it's both of those things. It's, it's, it's being close to God. And then it's spiritually for me being close to my dad. Cause I didn't connect with my dad, um, intellectually or anything as a kid. My dad was a hard worker. Yeah. Um, he worked his butt off all the time. He had multiple jobs. We didn't have a lot of money. We farmed. Um, but the place I connected the most with him was when we would jump in the truck and go deer hunting or antelope hunting or you know we'd we'd race down you know antelope the buck in the back room that i shot that was one of my first antelope and it's a 75 inch buck and literally shot that out of the back side of a truck with a 30 30 doing like 60 miles an hour i i saw i did in I, montana in dillon maybe i shouldn't say that but down in i went on a antelope hunt with my dad and like to a t that is like that experience right <laughs> antelope hunting is fucking yeah. nuts out there it is dude. it's absolutely nuts it's so, so funny so yeah I, I i don't know if that if, if that explains it but yeah it's uh yeah it's it, it's an it's a part of it for me is to be close to my dad and a time to reflect and think about a lot of experiences i've had with him um, but it's also a time for me to sit and really think spiritually about my life where and i'm at and you know mental clarity yeah absolutely do you, and, and I'm only asking you this because I have experience with this. Um, for me, my, my story is very, very similar, you know, as far as my grandparents, both my parents are, are still with us. Um, but my grandparents, I'm, anytime, and, and I would say at least every hour when I'm on the mountain, I'm thinking about my grandparents, 100%. Um, do you ever talk to your dad when you're, hunting or mm -hmm. hiking around because i mean i know for me i talk to my grandfather yeah and my grandmother every time that i'm in the field yeah and that's why i ask because i've never heard somebody that i could relate to on this level yeah um and and how and i that i can identify with and and really you know put the nail on the head there. yeah and actually i i don't say a lot but a lot of times what i do is i just thank my father I, and i'll tell him i'll i've openly spoke to him yeah. you know i've thanked him for giving me this opportunity because honestly i don't think if it was for him i'm not we never know the path we're going to take right? right um and my brother we used to hunt a lot together and then he had got married and had kids and that's his world right that's his life and hunting is not a priority to him and uh, so i've got him back into that and it's been a way for him and i to connect differently um because we do know where our roots are from and that's i mean we grew up eating venison and elk and that was like <laughs> that's how we live right For sure. um so yeah i i i will thank my my dad and uh every animal that i harvest i pray over them and i always say a prayer and i always have my dad a part of that so it's just a and it's not a ted nugent thing like yeah. a op vocal open thing it's a it's a 10 second kneel my head down prayer thanking the animal for what it gave me and 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 what it will give me and how many mouths it'll feed and then i always thank my father so yeah, it's a it's something that I do and and yeah. uh but yeah. It's kind of That's fucking epic, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, so epic. It's it's well, I mean when you when you think about when I always think about when I reflect back on like my life, like what what is it, you know, if if you could if you could leave a legacy or or leave something, you know, behind for people or or and and my thing is isn't like I don't a lot of what I do like I'm I'm I would say I'm pretty boisterous on, on like social media, but I don't, there's a lot of things I don't put out there 
that I keep very secret um, because I, I just don't, I guess I don't want that, some of that stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but I also want people to know, like, this is my life. This is what I do. And uh, if you want to be a part of that or you want to hang with me, great. And if you don't want to, I'm okay with that too. Because I have a lot of people and friends that don't hunt yeah. that are some of my best friends. Well, it's you California. Know? We kind of have to have a lot of friends that There's don't. There's not hunt. a lot of people that, that, that do, but you find that you kind of cohabitate with people that do. I yeah. mean, there's a there's a handful of people here that are hunters, and that's usually who you surround yourself with. But I'll tell you, I, I have a lot of close friends that we don't talk about politics or we don't talk about um, church or state because we don't agree on that. But outside of that, you could still be solid friends. people, right? Imagine that. Yeah. Isn't that so funny that some people can't grasp that concept? Some people can't at all, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good ride. I've, I'm very fortunate. I have my health. I have, you know, Randy Newberg always told me, he goes, you know, you'll run out of wealth before you run out of your health. And, uh, that's so fucking true. Or actually, excuse me. You'll run out of your health before you run out of your wealth. I knew what you meant versa. when you said it. And, uh, and he's in the, in, and I see it where I work because there's so many guys work their whole lives to retire and have this whole feedstock of money to go retire. And in a year they got cancer and then they're dead. And yep. it's like, you know what? Um, you know, it's Jason's video. Don't wait. You know, it's really <sighs> heavy, is, dude. Yeah, totally. But when you Fucking really, heavy, dude. when you really dig into the, the, to what that means yeah. and what that signifies, yeah, that's really how I live my life anymore. Talk about know? an inspirational person. I mean, I, and I, I'll say this completely proudly, you know, um, I mean, obviously there's more than, than just his ideology that has gotten me to where I am, but, a large amount of everything that I've done to get to the point that I'm at is don't wait and dream big. And it's, and it's a lot of, you know, what Jason Harrison really was all about and yeah. that fire and that passion and that drive that nobody's going to stop me and I'm going to fucking do this shit, yeah. you know, and, and just constant, you know, and, and I owe so much, to that man and the things that he accomplished in the years that he really you yeah. know, dove into it and raised the bar, man, constantly, I mean, consistently, always raising the bar. There was everything wasn't like, he did was, yeah. I mean, Sitka is the company they are because of Jason and innovation and Sitka. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then obviously with, with what he did with Kuyu and, and just continued to, to push everyone else to be better. Yeah. And he did that by driving his passion and innovation in the company that, that he built yeah. and uh, it, which drove everyone else to be better yeah. because they couldn't keep up. And in my opinion, a lot of them still can't keep up at all. But um, and everything he did was, and I didn't, I've met him a few times and would go to the sidewalk sales and shake his hand. I never knew Jason or for me, from any Adam or anybody, but um, I was always just, um, his passion for training, his passion for his family, his passion for his brand. His passion for life. Yeah, for everything. Just um, all encompassing. Yeah. I mean, I played football. I was I played football in college and I was I love football. So um, I enjoyed to see his passion in sports, too. Yeah. Right. Because he was a football guy and, and had a career in, in athletics. And um, so just seeing that that passion and how you can take something and, and turn it into 
you know, what he did is it's incredible. Yeah. And for what it tells me is, you know, that's what this country was founded on, mm -hmm. you know, free enterprise, the ability to have an idea, turn it into a concept. The concept gets proven from the proven state research and development, and then it happens. Right. Yeah. And, and that can still happen in this country. And that's, that's a cool thing because yeah. we have a president right now that supports that too, yeah. you know, that supports, um, people's ideas and, and free enterprise. And that's what this country was founded on. Everything we have today is, is by the innovation of people, you know, <laughs> seriously you know? is nonstop. Innovation. Food doesn't get to a marketplace just by getting there. A lot of people don't understand that, right? Yeah. They don't know where their animal. Oh yeah. I just go to the store and buy chicken. I don't know. And so it's like, okay, there's a reality check here. That animal had to die. <laughs> Probably lived in a pen. Right. But they don't know that they don't, yeah. they don't want to hear that. At so, all. It's all right. Right. Restless Man. innovation. Yeah. Things got heavy there, dude. It's okay. Yeah. It's, can do that. Yeah. When you're not, I tell you that. So I don't know. I, I'll throw this out in there. Most probably may or may not know. I have my own podcast. I've been doing it for a few years now. Um, it's just a fun brand that I do, but I found that the, the, the best podcasts that I've done are unscripted. Yep. It's sitting over a campfire um, mm -hmm. helped a young lady shoot an, uh, shoot a bull in Arizona, a good friend of mine, his daughter. And, uh, we did a, we did a podcast that night after we broke the whole bull down and still one of my favorites because it was the raw emotion of everyone that was there yeah. that did that for a 17 year old girl that shot the biggest bull survivor shoot in her life. And it, it just, the essence of all that was so cool. I mean, and those to me are the most priceless ones, you know? Yeah. So it's fun. It's, it it's a cool way to document <laughs> things for sure. Right. Oh man, there was so much more that I was going to ask you, but I mean, in all honesty, I think I'd rather just end it there. I'm good, man. Cool. Thanks for tuning into the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.